What's up, family? Thank you for tuning in to yet another episode of WTF with the Facts Podcast. I am Marielle, your host and creator, and I'm super grateful that y'all are here. Um, you know, I love telling y'all that every time we have a new episode on the podcast. So listen, today I am really excited because we're going to be talking about a topic that I think is super important, especially in the climate that we're in, um, fighting for social justice, um, a lot of the police brutality that we've seen, the racism that we have seen, um, whether it's from this administration and our government or just in our everyday lives. So that systemic racism, interpersonal um, racism that we've experienced. And so um, today I sit and have a conversation with Dr. Uh, Juliet McClendon, and we really walk through the effects of racial trauma. What does that mean? What does that look like? What are some symptoms? And most importantly, how do we begin to heal from this? Um, how do we begin to heal from it? Especially when the images of Black men are and Black women being consistently murdered are shown repeatedly. Um, and how do we heal from this when we are experiencing it ourselves? Um, so if you are a Black person, a person of color, Black, Brown, Indigenous person, I really hope that this helps you. And if you are a white person and you're listening to this, I really hope that it brings you some understanding. In this episode, uh, at the end of the episode, Dr. McClendon gives some resources that I really hope that you take advantage of. So without further delay, sit back, relax, and let's dive into today's episode. Excited because today I have Dr. Juliette McClendon, and we're going to be talking about something that I think is very uh relevant and I think some people may be suffering from it and don't even realize that they're suffering from it, um, which is racial trauma. Um, there's been so much to happen in the past few months. Um, this year has been really, really heavy. Uh, and so I just think we just need to have this conversation. So Dr. McClendon, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Of course. So for people who don't know you, can you just give us a little bit about your background and who you are? Uh, and then we'll di we'll dive right in. Of course. Um, so I am Juliet McClendon. I am a clinical psychologist by training, and I my work really focuses on um, both research and clinical work. Um, so in my research and in my clinical work, I really focus on the impact of racism and discrimination on mental health for people of color. And a lot of this work, some of this work centers around really understanding how is discrimination connected to mental health? So sort of what are the mechanisms by which discrimination impacts mental health and physical health? Um, another aspect of my research focuses on interventions um, in terms of figuring out what are the ways that we can, in the course of sort of psychotherapy or in a healthcare setting, how can we help people um, reduce the negative impact of racism on their mental health. Um, and so a lot of this really involves things like um, mindfulness, things like really increasing people's social support and the support they get from their loved ones and their families and in their communities and helping people balance self-care and taking care of themselves with their activism and their advocacy. Um, so that's where my research focuses as well as my clinical work. Um, I'm an assistant professor at Boston University School of Medicine. Um, and um, anything else about me? I really like to watch reality TV to, <laughs> to unwind. That's my like go-to, so. 
mine too. It just it always helps me feel better and mm -hmm. just to kind of get away from the stressors of the day. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so for people who maybe have never heard of racial trauma, mm -hmm. and maybe this is a new term. And what I will say in this environment that we're in, people really are, I think, trying to educate themselves and learn because I think before COVID, I think the way our world was structured, our busyness and all that, it gave the luxury of being able to kind of ignore things, right? And then here COVID happens and the world kind of stops. And now people are seeing things like, oh, I didn't know that was going on. Mm -hmm. Even though, you know, I think black and brown and indigenous people have been saying this for generations that mm -hmm. this has been going on, right? And so many people are still in that learning phase. So if you had to define what racial trauma is, um, how would you define that? Well, to t let's take a step back and let me define trauma because that's sort of the root of this. Um, so trauma usually occurs um, when, or people experience traumatic stress, when they experience an event or a series of events that sort of goes beyond their ability to cope. So we all have ways that we cope with stress. We all have, like I said, I watch reality TV to cope with stress. You know, we might take a walk or go for a run or we might spend time with family to cope with stress. But there comes a point where something may happen or the stress gets so great that we no longer can really cope with it. And then we start to have um, symptoms or traumatic stress symptoms. Um, so, um, one thing I also want to mention is that there's a diagnosis, a psychiatric diagnosis called post-traumatic stress disorder. And that can be diagnosed in somebody who's experienced a traumatic event. And that traumatic event might be race related or it may not be or related to racism. Um, but PTSD requires the traumatic event involves certain qualities. So you have to witness the event or experience the event, and it needs to be an event that's, that involves actual or threatened death, serious physical injury, or sexual violence. And so when we think about some of the things that feel traumatic to us as people of color or as Black people, oftentimes they may not necessarily involved, uh, involve us actually being there and witnessing somebody getting hurt or being hurt ourselves. It may be something like seeing a video on social media of um, the killing of an unarmed black man by police or hearing about that. Or it may be just these daily indignities that we experience, these microaggressions. So these really kind of subtle forms of racism that we experience of people making us feel like we're not good enough or we don't belong here or um, we're not smart enough or whatever it may be. Um, but those things can sort of build on themselves, right? Yeah. So racial trauma can really result from a, a range of different experiences. So it may result from people experiencing racial harassment, like I said, microaggressions, um, repeated exposure to the images of black death, um, internalized prejudice. So the way that we can sometimes internalize negative beliefs about our group. Um, there are a lot of different forms of racism that we experience. And like I said, it can be a single event or the accumulation of experiences over time that lead to these traumatic stress symptoms. Um, and so I can say a little bit more about what those, some of those signs and symptoms are. That would be awesome, trauma. yeah. So some of the signs and symptoms of racial trauma can include things like insomnia or sleep problems. Um, you might feel exhausted or you might be more irritable than usual. 
you might find yourself thinking about an experience of racism over and over again, or you might be thinking about sort of the, if you saw, for example, the, a video of somebody, of a black person being killed, you may be thinking about that image over and over again. Um, you might have sort of unwanted intrusive memories of an experience. So you might think about an experience of racism just out of the blue. Um, and it's like something you don't wanna think about, but you can't really control that it's coming into your head. You might find it harder to concentrate and pay attention. I know that that's something that a lot of people have been experiencing lately for many reasons. Um, you might have trouble enjoying things that you used to have fun doing. So you might be experiencing less pleasure. You might find that you're isolating yourself from other people. You might be spending less time with friends and family. You might be sort of in these days, like doing less video chatting or sort of not really wanting to talk to people. You might feel more sad or angry or anxious. Um, you might be more on edge or kind of afraid to go places that might remind you of, um, of racist experiences that you might have had. Or for example, you might be afraid to drive because you're worried about being pulled over by the police. And that fear may get so intense that you actually avoid driving even when you need to. Wow. Um, and so you can experience some or all of those signs and symptoms. And so if you're finding yourself experiencing many of these symptoms, you may be experiencing some racial stress or trauma. Um, and um, we'll talk a little bit later about resources, but it may be a good idea to seek out some resources um, like professional mental health um, counseling or something like that to help you find a way to start um, feeling a little bit better. Yeah, um, I could identify with actually a few of those. Mm -hmm. um, Me too. And, you know, I think this, like I say, 2020 has been a, I feel like it started with Kobe Bryant's death. Mm -hmm. um, and then we just, it just, it just keeps getting worse. Yeah. Um, but the common thread that I see through everything that has happened in this year is it has exponentially affected um, black and brown people. Mm -hmm. Um from losing our icons, our heroes who have passed away. So, you know, John Lewis, C.T. Vivian, um, to we in the midst of a pandemic, which is affecting black lives more than any other group. We have a higher Same. fatality rate, right? Um, to now still dealing with police brutality, the unjust killings of black men and women still fighting for justice for Breonna Taylor. <laughs> like it's just, it's been one thing after another. Mm -hmm. And I think people probably have been exhibiting those symptoms, but just didn't realize what they were. So mm -hmm. I'm sure before COVID, um, maybe it wasn't as talked about, but I'm curious from your perspective, how do you think in the age of COVID-19 that racial trauma has kind of presented itself even more so? Um, because again, like I was saying before, we were busy in our lives. And so sometimes I think you can suppress things. So even you may be feeling it, it's just, you just keep moving. But mm -hmm. I think now because we're forced to sit still, how do you think people are dealing with, you know, how is racial trauma really showing itself? Yeah. Well, you're right. I think that the pandemic has made us have to sit a little bit more still. And so that means that there's kind of less to distract us. So even if we are experiencing a lot of stress or these trauma symptoms that I just talked about, um, sometimes we can kind of avoid noticing that we're feeling that way because we're distracting ourselves with work or with 
going out with friends or, you know, whatever it is that we do to kind of keep our minds off the things that ail us. Um, and so I definitely think that's a big part of it. Um, and I think that you, you said a lot about the reasons why this is in some ways a much more traumatic time than we've experienced in a long time for black people. Um, you know, and so, like I said, trauma is really about stress, right? So if we think about what's going on right now, these are really just stress upon stress upon stress upon stress building on top of each other. The pandemic in and of itself is such a huge stressor for everyone. And it brings forth a lot of other stressors that in many ways disproportionately affect black and brown people. So if we think about who are the essential frontline workers, it's disproportionately black and brown people who have to keep going to work. Um, we might think about, and then that brings up problems with childcare. You know, if parents have to go to work, who's watching the children? Um, how are we? How are we dealing with that? That's another stressor. We talk about. You've mentioned that um, black and brown people are more likely to die from COVID nineteen and to be infected with COVID nineteen, and that leads to other traumas like losing a loved one in a very traumatic way, which is this sudden illness that suddenly takes them. People are um, having to die alone in hospitals because you can't have visitors. You know, those things are very traumatic for the people that are left behind, for people that become sick with COVID-19 and recover, that experience of having COVID-19 is very traumatic. Um, and so that compounds the trauma. Like you said, losing these heroes that we've had, you know, Chad, Chadwick Boseman just died. You know, we um, that is another form of trauma, even though we may not know people, I think for the black community, it's so rare that we have these heroes and we're so underrepresented in all of these areas that when we do lose someone, it's a really big blow. Yeah. Um, and then I think, you know, and then to top it all off, we also have been seeing more images of police violence against unarmed black people and black people in general and hearing about these deaths. And I think because of the pandemic, a lot of people are on social media a lot of more than they were before. And so not only are these things happening, they've always been happening, but we're being sort of exposed to the images. We're being exposed to people talking about them. We're being exposed to, again, more sort of racist people coming out of the woodwork and, you know, um, making their thoughts heard. We can think about, you know, what's going on um, in the government and the ways in which a lot of the things that the president says also can um, sort of enable people to engage in more racist behavior, which traumatizes people of color. And also just seeing what's going on in the news and the, dis the complete disregard for our lives, even from the highest levels of power, yes. um, that also can be very stressful and potentially traumatic as well. Um, so, like I said, you know, we're being exposed to these images, these videos, these details of these murders of black people. Um, we're having more conversations about racism, which, while that's good, it also exposes us again more to thinking about and talking about racism and our experiences with racism and other people's experiences with racism. And those things really are stressful. Um, the other thing I'll say is that um, I think black people in particular right now are being asked to take on an additional burden of sort of educating people, supporting their own communities and helping their institutions engage in anti-racist practices. 
And so that's another burden of stress. It may not necessarily be traumatic, but it's again, that stress that's building on top of things that makes us more susceptible to then experience tra experiencing traumatic stress symptoms. Absolutely. You were talking and I just thought about something. I, I definitely agree with you. I think because people are on social media a whole lot more and not, and one of the things that I see, especially I'm a big Twitter person. So, mm -hmm. um, people on my timeline are really frustrated with people keep resharing videos of yep. murders. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, I personally have avoided it. Um, with the, this latest shooting, I just, I couldn't do it. Like it was like, I can't, I don't, so if anybody, like I know on the news, they were like, oh, this video we're about to show you is very graphic. And I'm like, no, I just have to change the channel because for me, it produces such anxiety watching that over and over and over and over again. So for people who may be experiencing racial trauma, what are some, maybe some good tips as we engage in social media? Because I mean, we that's one way we can halfway feel connected right now in an, in an era where we're kind of disconnected from COVID. Um, but how are some things, what are some things maybe that we can do to kind of sidestep <laughs> um, certain images or certain things and still engage in social media? Yeah, I definitely think that, I, I also avoid watching videos and looking at images. Um, because again, I know that it affects my mental health and it is traumatic for me. Um, and I, when I work with, um, with patients, I also, we talk about sort of what are some of the options here? Can you sort of, what, what do you get out of seeing the videos? Because for some people, they want to see the videos because they want to know what happened. But we sort of talk about, are there ways that we can spend less time engaging with the news and with the videos of, of death because it really does have a negative impact on, on our mental health. Um, and I think I will just say like, it's okay not to watch those videos. We don't have to engage with those videos. We don't have to engage with the news coverage about, oh, they found a knife in the car or whatever. We don't have to engage with those things. I understand why people do, but I think sometimes we don't give ourselves permission not to engage with those things because we feel like we have to be you know, we have to be uh, knowledgeable about what's going on. Yeah. Oh, so I, I know one of the things that I preach all the time on social media um, is that our bodies were not made to absorb a lot of trauma and suffering, right? And that will begin to affect you physically. And I really actually like talking about how racism affects physical health, right? Mm -hmm. um, and racist structures. Um, and if anybody's like me, so like, I'm one of those people, I sometimes don't know when I'm stressed out. Like I, mm -hmm. people are great at being like, oh my God, I'm so stressed. I can never really identify. It's just, I just do it and I just got to get stuff done. The way it always shows up is I get sick or mm -hmm. something happens. So kind of talk to me about when people are not recognizing that they may have some trauma, how that possibly can show up physically um and <laughs> if if people can heal the trauma part will that hopefully help heal the physical part i don't know because i just feel like they are married together um when people are going through traumatic events but i think because and i will say this i think it's black people and especially as black women we're taught be strong just get it done go forth make it happen. 
cry later. Don't even cry, just keep going. And I think this is why we see so many black and brown people sick <laughs> because mm -hmm. their immune systems and you know them um black people have a lot of diseases or we're like the number one group in those diseases and i just strongly feel like it's a lot of times from all of the trauma we're absorbing um from racism so can you walk me through what that does to us physically absolutely i mean you're absolutely right that stress and trauma have very serious physical effects and there's a lot of research showing that racism and discrimination um, contributes to racial disparities in physical health. Um, so as I, as I mentioned earlier, racism is a stressor, right? So it's a form of stress. It's a form of stress that's uniquely experienced by marginalized populations. Um, and so stress, it causes the body to go into fight or flight mode, right? So like your heart starts racing, you start sweating more, um, your, um, your breathing speeds up and you're kind of, your body is, is making all these biological changes to prepare you to either run away or to fight. And there's, you know, other things that, <clears throat> that can also be a, a result of that as well. So our bodies really are actually built to be able to withstand going into fight or flight mode every so often, right? Because, you know, you can think back to like, I don't know, hunter gatherer days when, you know, we might come across a tiger and we have to run away or we have to fight. And so our bodies are well equipped for that. What our bodies are not well equipped for is that sustained chronic stress that's constantly there. And we know that for um, black people and, um, and indigenous people and other people of color that we are really experiencing sustained chronic stress for a variety of reasons, mostly linking back to interpersonal and systemic racism, right? So if we think about some of the stresses related to um, employment problems, um, uh, housing insecurity, food insecurity, um, all of those things are a result of systemic racism. And then on top of that, we also experience just the day-to-day -day racism where we're treated with less respect, we're treated with less dignity, we're exposed to these images of people who look like us dying, whereas we're underrepresented in other forms of media, you know, all of these things. Um, and so all of that stress compounds, and not only does it have an effect on, our, on us mentally, it has an effect on us physically. So, um, you know, that sustained chronic stress leads to these sort of long-term changes in our biology and so that leads to chronic diseases like hypertension, heart disease, type two diabetes, worse outcomes from cancer, all of those things. All of the, the diseases that we see at higher rates um, among black and brown people are diseases that are very strongly linked to stress. Mm. And those diseases also increase risk of dying from COVID-19. And one thing that's really also interesting is that stress in and of itself actually lowers your immune system and makes you more susceptible to catching a virus as well. Yeah. So, so all of those things combine to impact the health of people of color that leads to health disparities broadly and specifically leads to disparities in COVID-19. And, um, and when racial stress becomes racial trauma, there's an even bigger impact on physical health because that's the stress that that person's experiencing has brought that person to a point in which they can no longer cope. And that doesn't just mean mentally, that also means our bodies start to break down. 
been there. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I'll tell this story because I just think I didn't realize. So um, this may have been like a couple of years ago and I had to, so I live in Atlanta and I was working, I work at a university, um, one of the largest ones here in Georgia. And we had an event that I had to stay downtown for. So I had to stay at a hotel. And so I was really tired, um, had just been working a lot. And so I'm driving to the hotel and maybe about five minutes from my place of employment. Um, and I miss my turn cause I'm so tired. So I miss my turn turning into the hotel. Well, I decided to turn down this side street and just come back up. Well, then I look up and there are blue lights that are in my rearview mirror. And so I have to pull over kind of like on this dark street because where I was, there was no place that was really well lit. Um, And so I pull over and my heart is like coming out of my chest. The first thing that comes to my mind is, please just let me make it home. Just let them write a ticket, it's fine. I just wanna make it home, safe, sound, all of that. I did the drill, got my driver's license, registration, insurance, put it all on the dash, hands at 10 and two, window rolled down and was just waiting for the officer. Um, When I saw the officer get out, it was a white gentleman and I got even more anxious because I'm like, I don't know where this is about to go. Um, Fortunately for me, it was a great encounter. Um, He actually wound up being a very nice cop and all of that and actually blocked traffic for me so I could make a U-turn to get back to where I needed to go. But by the time I got to my hotel room, I broke down crying because my body had got, my body was so tense. Like I, it took hours, <laughs> literally hours, even though it was a, it was a good encounter. It took literally hours for my body to calm down. Mm-hmm. So um, I didn't have language for what that was at that time. Um, so literally the past couple of years, as I've gotten a little bit more educated around this topic, it makes so much sense. And so I think people have been suffering, but just there was, they don't really have language to put to what this really is. Mm-hmm. Um, most people would say, oh, you're just being paranoid. It's, it's fine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? but I think having language like this really helps put things into perspective and know that you're not crazy, that, <laughs> that you are actually suffering from something. Absolutely. Um, you brought up something that I think is important. I saw something on LinkedIn that was, that basically kind of said, um, your black employees are exhausted. Um, emotionally, they're tired. They're probably crying between meetings. They're having to be performative to act like nothing's wrong. And I kind of want to talk to that group, <laughs> right? Um, those That group of people who we have seen the images, we've experienced all this death in 2020. We're terrified to go to work. <laughs> like all of these things are happening around us that are affecting people that look like us and to have to go to a workspace to put on a happy face to try to have some form of productivity when maybe one of your symptoms is you really don't want to do anything you have no desire to can you kind of give some um some tips to people who are having to work and especially if they're working in predominantly white spaces because Mm -hmm. that again can be to work in a space where nobody really sees you or really understands what you're feeling um, can be tough. So can you give some um, some tips to people who have to work in those type of environments to still kind of protect their mental and emotional health? 
Absolutely. Um, well, first I wanna say, I'm really glad you shared that example of experiences that you've had of having those trauma reactions. That's an example I often use when I talk about racial trauma and what it looks like. And um, that's absolutely sort of sums it up really, really well. You know, that it takes a lot longer for the body to calm down, to sort of reset, to feel like it's out of danger, right? And that has impacts on our health. Um, the other thing I wanted to say before I get to tips was, um, in addition to a lot of the symptoms I described, um, oftentimes we can really feel trauma in our body. And so we might experience physical symptoms too, like nausea, headaches, um, muscle aches. You might find that you're getting colds more often. Um, I remember one uh, winter I was really stressed. I was like starting a new job. I just moved, you know, all these things. And I think I got like, I got sick like six different times or something like wow. that because I was so stressed and my body was just trying to like stay alive, let alone fight off an illness. Um, so that's another thing to keep in mind that if you're noticing your body is feeling different or you're feeling kind of sick, but you don't really have a cold or anything, that's also can be an indication. But in terms of tips, I mean, well, I wanna start by saying like racism is here and it's likely gonna be here for a long time. It's not gonna go away. So the first step is really acknowledging that this is a lifelong stressor. Like we can't deny that racism exists, that it's real and that it affects us. But in order to keep going and to do the work that we need to do to make the world a better place, um, we also have to create a capacity for hope and for envisioning a future of justice and liberation. And that's taken from um, French and colleagues just read an article in The Counseling Psychologist um, that came out in 2020. And they present a framework for radical self-care um, or radical healing. It's wonderful. Um, but so we have to be able to sit in that dialectic where these two opposite things are true at the same time. Like we have to acknowledge the pain and the hardship and the oppression. And we also have to be able to envision, well, what does what does the future that we want to see look like and how do we take steps towards that future? Um, and so I approach radical self-care for black and brown people from a, a three level framework. Um, and, and I want to say like self-care is radical for black and brown people, just taking care of ourselves and taking a moment for ourselves, um, is radical. Yeah. Um, and so the approach is really about cultivating joy and empowerment. So at the personal level, you know, find things that bring you joy and peace and stillness. Um, there's a lot of research showing that mindfulness meditation and prayer can really reduce the negative impact of stress and racism on health. And for black people, especially those of us who are descended from enslaved Africans, stillness is resistance. That's from, uh, that's a quote from Dr. Thema Bryant Davis, where, you know, for centuries, um, those of us who are enslaved Africans were expected to work, 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 never stop, never stop. And if we take a moment, we're taught called lazy. And so being able to be still for a little while and just be and not be working, it, mean, it, it it's very meaningful. Um, so you can sit, you can count your breaths in and out for a few minutes. You can use a guided meditation from YouTube. There's a new app called Liberate which has mindfulnesses that are specifically curated for people of color. Um, or you can repeat a mantra or a prayer. 
Um, and then you can find other things that you enjoy doing, like exercise, um, different kinds of exercise that you like to do, creative endeavors, painting, drawing, writing, journaling, reading, you know, anything that gives you a sense of joy and relaxation. And then there's the community level. So this is really about like finding your people, right? Find your, your, find your family um, and the people that you relate to who understand what you're going through, who are there for you, who can sit and listen, um, who you can support and who can support you. You know, really, I know this is really hard because it's hard for me too, but asking for support when you need it. Like if you're having a really hard day, like reach out to a friend and be like, hey, I'm having a hard day. Like, can I just vent for 10 minutes or whatever you need? You know, finding that support when you need it, playing and laughing with your people regularly, meeting over Zoom or finding another way to connect in a socially distanced way. Um, it might also include finding supportive mentors. So if you're thinking, you know, if you're, you're talking about people who are in work environments that are predominantly white, is there someone who may not be in your organization, they may be outside of your organization, but somebody who you can reach out to who might be able to meet with you once a month, just to provide that support um, for what you're going through. Um, and that for me has been very helpful in terms of talking with um, black women professionals who are further along in their careers than me, who have spent their life working in predominantly white institutions and just having somebody who like gets it, it, it really makes a big difference. Um, and, and reaching, and you might also reach out to people that you know are struggling just to be there for them. You know, like we're really in this together and we have to be there for each other, um, you know, in broadly throughout the US and throughout the world. Um, and so the point is to experience joy with the people you love and be able to reach out for support when you need it. Um, and one thing I forgot to say about the personal level is therapy. If you find that you're trying a lot of these things and you're just still sh really struggling, or even if you're struggling so much that you can't even try some of these things, finding a way to reach out for some professional support um, if you can. And then finally, at the systems level, which is sort of the broader systemic social societal level, finding ways to engage in activities or actions that contribute to changing systems to be more just and equitable. So this is the advocacy and activism. Um, I think for a lot of people, this is kind of like, not necessarily the easy part, but this is the part that we feel so compelled and so driven to do. Yeah. Um, but we can often then lose sight of like the social support and the personal level and taking care of ourselves there. So this is all about balance. Um, but some things you can do on the systems levels, like going to a protest. I just went to the March on Washington last weekend. Everybody had their masks on. It was yes. awesome. It was amazing. Um, but everyone had their masks on. Everyone was really doing a good job social distancing. And so to be able, after all these months of being so isolated, to be in this huge crowd of, of like mostly black people, like it was just so full, it like filled me up. It was amazing. So if you're able to go to things like that, that's great. If you're not, that's totally fine too. There's other things you can do. You know, you might join a community organization. You might just sort of educate people on social media or spread the word about different initiatives. You might donate money. You know, it's just really all about balancing these three levels of the personal, the community, and the societal, and finding a way that you can do those things in a way that feels balanced and a way that feels sustainable so that you can keep going.
Absolutely. And I would definitely highly, highly, highly agree with the community aspect of it. Because for me, I know in my workspace, um, I have a tribe of Black women who we work together. So we are... I can't even be, I can't even imagine what my workspace really would be like if I didn't have that type of community. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there are others, especially when you work at um, institutions like that are, especially if you work in higher ed. So, cause I work in higher education, mm-hmm. um, you um, are at PWIs and sometimes finding that community community can be a little bit difficult, but when you do, um, and to just be able to connect, because I think that's important too, is like you're saying, finding somebody, and especially who understands the culture that y'all are in. Every school is different. Every workplace is different. Every organization is different. So if you can find somebody, even if it's just one person, that alone can help. Absolutely. 100%. <laughs> yeah. Be honestly, sometimes, even if it's like one other person, like yeah. just having that connection is so, so important. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So you talked about one resource, which is therapy. Mm -hmm. Um, And I will say some people are like, oh, therapy sounds great, but I can't afford it. There's some Mm -hmm. really great organizations that are out there, FYI, um, where you can either get financial aid. I think the website Better Health, I want to say that's the name of it, but there are a lot of um, therapists. um, They offer, I do know they offer financial aid in different packages that are affordable. Um, but for those people who may be like, okay, yeah, therapy, what's the steps before that? What are some resources if I want to learn more information about racial trauma or that I can utilize to kind of help me heal from it? Yeah, absolutely. So um, there are a lot of resources out there. The, the um, online therapy you mentioned is BetterHelp like H E L P. Yeah. So that's one. I know that the, um, I'm going to forget, I'm not going to say the name of the foundation, right. But Taraji P Henson has a foundation where they're offering free mental health treatment to people. And I think they do it in cohorts or in rounds. So like everybody signs up and then they do a round. So I don't know when the next round is, but that's something that people can look into. Um, Ayana therapy. Now, I don't know if they're up and running quite yet, but they um, have created an online therapy organization that connect that is specifically focuses on people from marginalized groups. So people of color, LGBTQ people, and they hook you up with an online therapist who um, uh, who's also a person of color, LGBTQ sort of matches up with you in the ways that you, that you need. Um, so that's another thing that people can look into. Um, in terms of finding out more information about racial trauma, um, let's see. So Monica T. Williams, who is um, also a clinical psychologist, she has a blog at psychologytoday.com called Culturally Speaking. And she writes in a really accessible way about a lot of um, different um, impacts of racism on mental health, including racial trauma. So those would be a good, that would be, could be a good place to start to sort of learn more about what is racial trauma? What does it look like? She uses a lot of like case examples. And she also has a lot of academic writing that focuses on sort of um, different strategies for um, targeting racial trauma. Um, Boston College has a hashtag racial trauma is real toolkit. Um, so you can Google that and um, they have some resources that people can use. They have a um, racism recovery plan where um, people can go in there and sort of like set up a plan for themselves of like, how am I going, like, what am I going to put 
it might be those different levels that I just talked about, like personal level, what am I going to do? But you write it out and you think about a plan for different levels of um, sort of different levels of suffering, I guess, you know, so if you're sort of doing okay, but you need, you know, some coping skills all the way down to if you're really suffering from racial trauma and maybe you're feeling suicidal or you're feeling like you can't keep going, what are some strategies you can use if you get to that point as well? Yeah. Um, I, there's also, um, this is sort of more academic focused, but um, there is a racial, or I'm sorry, radical healing syllabus. So I found this on Helen Neville's Twitter page. She linked to this radical healing syllabus that really talks a lot about all of the different theory and research on healing from racial trauma and what that looks like. And there's been a lot of academic writing on the topic. Um, so those are a few different resources that I can offer offer here. No, that's, that's perfect. Um, is there anything else that you would like to leave like the audience with about racial trauma or any lasting thoughts that you want to leave with them? Well, I mean, I would say like, hang in there. Like it's okay to take a break and take care of yourself. You we know? don't get that message enough. <laughs> no, it's okay to take a break. Um, I have to tell myself that all the time too, you know, because I know what it feels like to be, oh, I've got to do this. This opportunity has come up. I have to do this. You know, if I don't do it, you know, who's going to do it? And just this feeling of constantly having to be going and going. And um, we don't have to do that all the time. And really at the end of the day, you know, people of color alone can't dismantle racism, right? If that were the case, it would be over. We wouldn't have any racism. So this requires concerted effort on the part of white people and institutions as well. And of course we have our work to do, but, um, but I think that it's okay for us to take a step back sometimes and, and just focus on ourselves and our family. And I think that that in and of itself is radical. Absolutely. And I would say if you are, um, because we have become very much so social media driven, especially in this age of COVID, it's okay to take a break from social media. Yes, it is, absolutely. <laughs> Let's take a break. Yeah. And um, I think September is Self-Care Awareness Month or something like that. So, you know, think about... Um, uh, what you can maybe some new things you can do or if there are things you used to do to take care of yourself that have kind of fallen by the wayside how can you get those back on board Absolutely. um yeah and then also this is like a plug uh look out for um black and mental health week on twitter hashtag black and mental health it's gonna be the week of wait when is it the 26th, I think it's, we're going to start on the 26th or something like that. Or maybe we end on the 26th. I'm not good at remembering dates, um, but look out for hashtag black and mental health week on, um, on Twitter. We're going to be doing a lot of cool stuff and we're going to be talking about self-care as well. Oh, that's perfect. So I look forward to that. Um, if people want to reach you or find you or follow you, um, how do they go about that? You can find me on Twitter. I'm at Dr. Oh, sorry. I say doctor, but it's the abbreviation at Dr. Juliet M. So D R J U L I E T T E M. That's my Twitter handle. You can find me on Instagram at curlymama87. <laughs> and um, 
And that's pretty much it. That's sort of what I spend a lot of my time on Twitter, like engaging with other mental health professionals and other people. Um, so you can always find me there. You can always send me a DM and, um, uh, and then we can connect in that way. I love it. Well, I appreciate you taking the time out of your schedule to just kind of talk to us about this. Um, and like I said earlier, put language to what I think a lot of people are feeling, but just maybe not ha- know what it really is. Um, so hopefully this puts people on a journey to one, I think it's two groups. One, to take better care of themselves and pay attention to what their bodies and, you know, like you said, take a break. And then there's the other group where it's educating them that this is a real thing. So um, I, I definitely appreciate you taking the time and yeah. joining us on the podcast. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. And if anybody wants to reach out and wants to like find some therapy but doesn't know where to look or something, feel free to, to reach out to me and I can help you find some resources as well. Awesome. Well, guys, thank y'all so much for tuning into another episode. Of course, we're going to be back with more. Um, and I hope that y'all take care of yourselves. Breathe and just find something that brings you joy today. <laughs> we'll catch you on the next episode.